0: Now, I must confess to being a frequent turner to BBC sports reports. And this week they were discussing the Australian Open, the tennis that's being held in Melbourne Park this week. And they were fascinated by the name of one of the American competitors whose first name is appropriately Tennis. Tennis Sangreen, actually I think he's playing Dominic Team tomorrow, so that's probably the last we'll hear of him. Um, But he's into the last 16, and they were thinking that it was rather interesting how appropriate people have names that suits what they're doing. And they were remembering that there used to be an American quarterback called Chuck Long. (laughs) (laughs) And the one which really stuck in my mind was a Bulgarian hurdler called... Vania stumble over. <laughs> well, the Passover is one of those names which describes exactly what it does. The Passover is God passing over His children, the children of Israel, His chosen people, when it comes to judgment. And this evening, we're going to look at the link which goes back two and a half thousand years, which started at the Passover, continues through the Last Supper. And we tonight, as we share communion, are participating in that very thing. So let's start in Egypt, about 1500 BC. Now, if you're an aficionado of the Indiana Jones films you'll know that the plots are very simple. And they consist of a series of, inconti- of increasing catastrophes, which the hapless hero has to endure. And each one is more problematic than the next, than the previous one. And most of them seem to be based somewhere in the desert, in the Middle East, quite often in Egypt. And as I scratch my head, I think that the scriptwriter. Actually, God is inspiration from Exodus chapter 7 to 11. And then what we read in those chapters are the plagues of Egypt. And if we go back to Exodus chapter 4, God is speaking with Moses and he says, Say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go. So I will kill your firstborn son. God wanted his people freed from slavery, free to serve him in the land that he promised. And so because Pharaoh refused, there are a series of nine plagues which are visited on the people of Egypt. But none of these affect the community of Israel. And now in these verses in Exodus chapter 12, we get to the final plague and something is about to change. God is about to fulfill his word that if Pharaoh does not let Israel go, the firstborn sons of Egypt will die. And if Israel do not obey God's word, they too will suffer the same fate. The conditions for redemption are laid out here in chapter 12. They're clearly laid out by Moses. And Israel must respond. It's an act of faith. They have to do what Moses is instructing them to do. And they were to take this unblemished lamb, a perfect lamb. And after four days, they were to kill this lamb. They're to eat the flesh. And they're to take the blood and paint it on the doorposts. So, when judgment comes, the death has already been visited on the lamb, and it's not visited on the firstborn member of the household. And this Passover would mark the beginning of a new life of freedom for Israel. Freedom as God's redeemed people, people that He has bought, bought back. And they move from being slaves of Pharaoh to being servants of God. And this Passover is both bloody and beautiful. The death of the lamb is figurative as we look forward into the New Testament and as we look forward to Jesus. Because this lamb does three things. It provides what the Bible calls atonement. The lamb, if you like, is a substitute. It's a substitute for Israel. The price is paid by the lamb The lamb dies, Israel goes free. So it provides atonement and it provides purification. Because the blood was smeared on the doorposts using hyssop, which is quite relevant because it's used for um, Old Testament ritual purification, because the doorposts are smeared with blood, it indicates that the price has been paid and that household is free, free from judgment guiltless in God's eyes. Provides atonement, provides purification, and thirdly, it provides sanctification. The people are sanctified as they eat. They have to eat the lamb. And as they eat, they are being consecrated to God. Later on in this chapter 12, we read that no foreigner was allowed to eat that lamb without first being circumcised, in other words, being consecrated to God. So as they partook in the death of the lamb by eating it, they are indicating that they are God's special people, consecrated to him. This is powerful imagery. And this would have stayed in the minds of the children of Israel year after year, because they were told to celebrate every year the Passover, celebrate the festival of the Passover and they will really have looked back on this miraculous delivery and release, and they'd have rejoiced in their newfound freedom. Family celebrations are very special when they come along. Linda and I celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary last year. Yes, I know we don't, do we? <laughs> Child bride. And we had a big family celebration. People came from all over the place, including Australia. And when you get together as a big family, you remember times past. The next generation and the generation below them, they want to know, what was it like when you got married? Did you have colour television? You know, all sorts of questions about the past. They want to know what happened. They want to know where they've come from. And also, you spend time looking forward. What are you going to do? Where are you going to go? What would you like to be when you grow up? It was an expensive time for us. But the Passover celebration, as we get to Luke chapter 22 and the Last Supper, is an event which both looks back to Egypt, but also looks forward. And in this Passover supper that Jesus celebrated with his disciples, a whole new meaning comes to the Passover because that one meal ushered in a whole new covenant. Jesus suddenly becomes the lamb. No longer is an unblemished lamb taken from the flock and slaughtered. Jesus becomes the lamb, the sacrifice that will once and for all atone for the sin of the people. His shed blood will purify and will cleanse us. And he will encourage us to take part by eating bread and wine, my blood and my body. And as we do so, like the Israelites at Passover, we too are sanctified. We're not sanctified by eating the elements themselves, but we are sanctified because by doing so, we are participants by faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Now, the annual celebration of the Passover didn't mean that every year an angel of death was going to come and visit each of the households of Israel. That was something that happened once in Egypt and never again. And just so when we celebrate communion, we're not sacrificing Jesus every time we come. That was done once and for all at Calvary. But by faith, we are are participants and beneficiaries of his sacrifice. And the Passover didn't just look back at deliverance, it looked forward to the purpose of deliverance. A home in the promised land, a place where they would build a temple, a place where they would worship God. And for us, communion doesn't just look back to Calvary. It doesn't just look back to an empty tomb. It doesn't just look back to that resurrection morning. It looks forward to the consummation of our eternal relationship with Jesus. Because for each one of us, at a moment's notice, our exodus can arrive. We will one day be with the Lord, either through death or because he returns. And we don't know when that will be. But we and all God's people will be gathered into his eternal presence. And so here in communion, we celebrate our deliverance. And we celebrate the greatest reconciliation in history and we celebrate a restored relationship, but we also celebrate an eternal future. We celebrate the fact that we are his and he is mine. And as a shepherd comes and gathers the sheep, Jesus himself will come and enfold us in his arms. We are part of his body, the body of Christ. We are one with him. We are part of that bride. And we are now inseparable from his wonderful love. Inseparable from his presence. Inseparable from his care. Though it was gruesome, the blood of Calvary has done a beautiful thing. Something we couldn't do for ourselves. It's made us one with him. Now and for all eternity. Yesterday, Belinda and I were at the Hippodrome. And if you've ever watched Strictly Come Dancing, what I'm going to say will make sense. And if you haven't, you better come back in a couple of minutes and resume. But we were watching Anton and Erin in their dancing show. And they were very good. They weren't quite as good as the backup dancers who were excellent. And they weren't quite as good as the London Concert Orchestra who were superb. But none of them were as good as Lance Ellington, who you may recognise from Strictly Come Dancing as one of the four singers. he's, He's the black singer who often does the male voice parts. And he is sublime. And he sang Frank Sinatra's New York, New York. And the only difference between him singing it and listening to Frank Sinatra was that Lance Ellington is 10 times better than Frank Sinatra. He is so much better than the original. And as we celebrate communion, we look back to the Passover and we look back to the Last Supper. But this is so much better because this is the fulfillment of it all. This is the high point. This is where salvation has touched our hearts. Because communion isn't a ritual. It's not a ceremony that we go through. It is us participating in the salvation which God has given us in Jesus. And the bread and the wine tonight say to us, I am his and he is mine. We are one together, one in an indivisible bond, one in love and in fellowship with him. We are one in the father's arms. We are one forever with the Lord. So what will be in our mind as we come and receive bread and wine tonight? Will we come just as a habit? Or will we come without really anything in our heads? Or will it for us be a little bit like renewing our wedding vows, coming back and celebrating something which God has done for us, celebrating that union which sacrificially Jesus has purchased for us? Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians as he talks about the Lord's Supper, he talks about examining ourselves before we take the bread and the wine so that we don't trivialise this act. Either by coming with unrepentant hearts or by coming casually and not really understanding what we're doing. Jesus, our Passover lamb, says, come, come. And as we do so, we examine our hearts. What does Jesus mean to me this evening? Do I come with that sense of awe and wonder? Do I feel that weight of the history of two and a half thousand years of men and women coming to celebrate God's Passover lamb? And here tonight, I'm doing just that. I'm taking in my hand the symbol of that Passover lamb, Jesus, my Saviour. Let's just spend a moment of quiet reflection as we examine our hearts.